It's Monday, March the 28th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, catch up. Macron warns against escalation and Zelensky speaks with The Economist. First, the world in brief. France and Britain distanced themselves from President Joe Biden, who said that Vladimir Putin, quote, cannot remain in power. Emmanuel Macron, France's president, said he would not use those words and warned against escalation. A British cabinet minister said that the role of Mr Putin was for the Russian people to decide. Earlier, the White House said Mr Biden was not calling for regime change in the unscripted remark. In an interview with The Economist, Volodymyr Zelensky said Vladimir Putin is, quote, throwing Russian soldiers like logs into a train's furnace. He offered a mixed assessment of the West's response to Russia's invasion, praising Britain and warning that Germany is, quote, making a mistake with its pragmatism. He reiterated his request for planes, armoured vehicles and tanks from the West and said he wants to negotiate with Mr Putin with the goal of saving, quote, as many lives as possible. Mr Zelensky told a group of Russian journalists that his country would be willing to become neutral as part of a peace deal with Russia. He also offered to discuss the status of Crimea, which Russia annexed in 2014, and the Donbass region, the scene of Russian separatist conflict. Turkey is set to host a new round of peace talks this week in Istanbul. Ukraine's foreign ministry said that Russian troops were being withdrawn from their positions around Kyiv, having suffered, quote, significant losses. Russia now seems to be concentrating its efforts even more solidly on two cities, Mariupol in the south and Chernihiv in the north. Ukraine's military intelligence chief said Russia was trying to divide the country and consolidate territory in the east and south. Mr Zelensky said that more than 2,000 children in Mariupol had been abducted by Russia. Russia and Ukraine agreed to evacuate civilians from the city via a humanitarian corridor on Sunday. Earlier, Ukrainian authorities said bus convoys attempting to evacuate citizens from the encircled southern port city were being stopped and held by Russian forces. An advisor to the mayor of the city said thousands of evacuees were being detained without food and water. Some Mariupol residents, he said, were being taken to Russian-controlled Donetsk and from there towards Russia. Other news. Thousands of people took to the streets of Islamabad, Pakistan's capital, to demand the ousting of Imran Khan, the country's wobbling prime minister. Mr Khan faces a no-confidence vote this week over the perceived corruption of his government and mishandling of the economy. Shanghai's government said it will lock down the city in two instalments starting Monday to test residents for COVID-19 as cases surge. The eastern half of the city will go into lockdown Monday. The western half will follow on Friday. Apple's Coda became the first film produced by a streaming service to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Troy Kotzer, one of its stars, became the first deaf person to win an acting Oscar. At one point, an actor slapped a comedian 
sending the internet into a frenzy. President Joe Biden's budget will propose a 20% minimum tax rate on households worth more than $100 million. The quote, billionaire tax, to be unveiled on Monday, will target unrealized capital gains as well as income and would supposedly generate $360 billion of revenue over the next decade. Christine Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank, said she doesn't expect the war in Ukraine to contribute to stagflation in the eurozone. Initial jobless claims in America decreased by 28,000 last week to 187,000, the lowest level since 1969. And fact of the day, 10,000, the number of people or firms subject to American sanctions. And now, here's today's agenda. Vladimir Zelensky on Putin, allies and victory. Vladimir Zelensky is scathing in his assessment of how Vladimir Putin treats his soldiers. The Russian president, he says, quote, is throwing Russian soldiers like logs into a train's furnace. What is more, they don't even bother burying them. Speaking to The Economist in Kyiv on March 25th, Mr. Zelensky said that no one was ready for Ukraine's war before it began. But now that it is here, there is only one foreseeable outcome. Quote, We believe in victory. It's impossible to believe in anything else. For Mr. Zelensky, that means, quote, being able to save as many lives as possible. Land, he says, is important. Quote, But ultimately, it's just territory. Mr. Zelensky offers a mixed appraisal of the West's response to Russia's invasion. Quote, Britain is definitely on our side, he says. Germany is, quote, making a mistake with its pragmatism. None is providing Ukraine with the military equipment, quote, planes, armoured vehicles and tanks, he wants. Nor are sanctions on Russia as strict as he'd like. To achieve peace, Mr. Zelensky insists on negotiating with Vladimir Putin. Quote, There is a problem and we have to figure it out in detail and solve it, he says. But he is not willing to roll over. Quote, We can't compromise on everything. We have to understand that Ukraine is our land. Unraveling Germany's energy dependence on Russia Germany gets half of its gas, more than half of its coal, and about one-third of its oil from Russia, which for decades has been a reliable supplier. The war in Ukraine, however, has transformed this one-sided business relationship into one stark of moral choices. Though Germany is under huge pressure from its most important Western allies, Robert Habeck, Germany's economic and climate minister, insists that Berlin cannot back an immediate embargo on Russian energy because the cost to business and individuals would be too great. Nonetheless, last week, Mr Habeck announced that Germany plans to end almost all Russian oil imports this year and intends to largely wean itself off Russia's gas by the summer of 2024. The country is building two terminals for liquid natural gas and pushing its expansion of renewables. But kicking the Russian habit is a dauntingly complex task 
for Europe's biggest economy. A reprise for the American-Philippine Alliance Philippine and American armed forces start their annual joint exercises on Monday, one of the biggest yet. The scale shows how their military alliance has survived outgoing President Rodrigo Duterte's seemingly mercurial policy on the South China Sea, where the Philippines and China have conflicting claims, and where America guards the southern flank of Taiwan. Mr Duterte courted China. He muted the Philippine claims in the disputed waters, as long as further Chinese military encroachments were curtailed. And he held out the prospect of crippling the American-Philippine alliance by keeping American forces out of the Philippines, but only as long as China supplied COVID-19 vaccines that his country lacked. The policy reaped dividends. Mr Duterte held up China's advances at sea and pushed back the pandemic on land. Yet America played along, ostentatiously wooing the Philippines back by making plainer their commitment to its defence. Mr Duterte's probable successor, Ferdinand quote, Bongbong Marcos, might well deploy a similar stratagem to keep both regional superpowers on side. Next steps for Biden's SCOTUS nominee. On Monday, the Senate Judiciary Committee considers the nomination of Judge Kentaji Brown-Jackson as America's 116th Justice of the Supreme Court. At a four-day hearing last week, the committee's 11 Democrats received Ms. Jackson warmly, while the 11 Republicans peppered her with sceptical and at times hostile questions. A single objection today would delay the committee's vote by one week. If no Republicans crossed the aisle to support her, the committee could still send Ms. Jackson's nomination to the entire chamber without an endorsement. This happened in 1991, when the committee deadlocked over Clarence Thomas's nomination. If Republicans refused to do even this, Democrats could still force a Senate-wide vote by April 8th. Once the matter is in all 100 senators' hands, a few Republicans are expected to join 50 senators in the Democratic caucus. But with Vice President Kamala Harris available to break a tie, a 50-50 vote would be enough to turn Judge Jackson into Justice Jackson. Amazon faces union votes. Last year, workers campaigned to form a labor union at an Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama. They eventually lost a vote to do so, but the National Labor Relations Board said Amazon interfered with the ballot and ordered a new election. On Monday, the NLRB will begin counting ballots for the rerun. Two days later, warehouse workers in New York will finish their own union drive. Officials may take days to tally the votes there. The campaigns are more about working conditions, such as short bathroom breaks and the pace of work, than wages. Many workers in Alabama said they applied to Amazon because the pay was good. Two broader trends are also at play. First is the relentless expansion of Amazon's logistics network, for which the company needs ever more workers. Second is the revival of organised labour. Although union membership remains low because of a tight labour market, 
America has seen a wave of strikes and union drives during the pandemic. The Amazon campaigns are a long shot. The first effort in Bessemer was handily defeated, but any success could motivate workers elsewhere to form unions. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which company, set up in 1670, controlled the fur trade in British North America before evolving into a retailer? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Virginia Woolf, who died on this day in 1941. No passion is stronger in the breast of man than the desire to make others believe as he believes. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.